are on Mark 3 this week, if you want to kind of go ahead and turn there in that book. Uh, hey, John, can you turn this down just a tiny bit? I'll talk louder if I need to. Um, but I want to start by reading just a little piece of Mark 2 from last week when Pastor Kevin was talking, because I think it's going to be a guide for, just so you know, when you read the Bible, all the chapters and headings and stuff weren't always there, you know, and sometimes even like when these guys look back at how long some of these books are, they're identical to the length of like the available scrolls. Like, you know, we use eight and a half by 11 sheets of paper. And so that, like <laughs> these guys had scrolls of varying lengths and some of the letters are like, oh, that's the length of a short scroll or that's the length of a long scroll. You know what I mean? And as the books, the way we read books has changed, people added in chapter breaks and stuff like that to try to organize this stuff. Otherwise we'd be like, you know, in Mark somewhere or something like that, you know? So this chapter break start is kind of right in the middle of something. Like Pastor Kevin was talking about it, and then it stopped, and now we're going to keep talking about it. And so I need to go back a little bit just to kind of get you to where we need to be. So in Mark 2, verses 21 and 22, this is when Jesus was doing a bunch of stuff, and they, didn't have, they had some problems with it. He gives them this response. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the new piece will pull away from the old and make the tear worse. And here's the thing that I really want us to hold on to as we go through this chapter this week. And no one pours new wine into old wineskins, otherwise the wine will burst the skins, and both the wine and the wineskins will be ruined. No, they pour new wine into new wineskins. So we got old wineskins, new wineskins, and new wine being poured out. So hold that in, in your back of your brain as like a overarching theme or metaphor that we're going to go through. So here's what we're going to do today. We have an outline of the chapter. Again, these are all broken down into chunks, which you can see. It's kind of like little vignettes, little stories of things that Jesus is doing. And I'm just going to read through them and talk through them and then make a couple points along the way and then draw it all together into a bigger point at the end that involves new and old wineskins. So the first uh, section that we have, Jesus, his healing on the Sabbath, which is kind of a continuation because like last week, if you, in case you weren't here, Jesus has started doing stuff now, right? Like before the first chapter, it's Jesus has announced, he's baptized, he's like, this is the son of God, I'm well, you know, and then now he's like starting to do stuff. And the stuff he's starting to doing is making people uncomfortable. And well, some people uncomfortable and some people not. So like last year, he, last week, he was forgiving sins and then he was eating with sinners and then he was not fasting right you know, according to how everybody would look at it. And then he was working on the Sabbath, which was a problem. And so he's, he's challenging these views of what the people had, of what he was, should be doing or what they'd expected him to do. So in verse 1, chapter 3, Another time Jesus was, went into the synagogue, and a man with a shriveled hand was there. Some of them were looking for a reason to accuse Jesus. So they're already really upset that he's doing stuff different than they wanted. And they're like, let's find something we can have a problem with this guy, which is not the right attitude you want to have when you're engaging with people in general. Just, just a little side note, you know. So they're engaging with Jesus, just looking for something to pick on him about. So they watched him closely to see if he would heal the guy on the Sabbath. Jesus said to the man with the shriveled hand, stand up in front of everyone. It'd be kind of like us in this group here, and just, hey, come down here, shriveled hand guy. And he says, then Jesus asked them, the group, which is lawful on the Sabbath, to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill. But they remained silent because they didn't know. He looked around them and in anger and deeply distressed at their stubborn hearts, said to the man, stretch out your hand. He stretched it out and his hand was completely restored. So Jesus didn't even really do anything other than just 
speak the truth or this power of the Holy Spirit on the, you know. And the reaction is, then the Pharisees went out and began to plot with the Herodians how they might kill Jesus. Remember, old wineskins, new wineskins. So Jesus is showing up and he's doing stuff that people weren't expecting him to do. And they're trying to trick him or, cap, or trap him and he, he's just avoiding that. But the crowds had a different reaction in verse 7. So Jesus withdrew with his disciples to the lake and a large crowd from Galilee followed him because he's healing people. When they heard about all he was doing, many people came to him from Judea, Jerusalem, uh, Kevin, how do you say that? Edumia, and the, and the regions across the Jordan, and from Tyre. So like people coming from everywhere. All right, They're like, wow, there's this Jesus guy. We should check that out. So crowds are showing up. Because of the crowd, he told his disciples to have a small boat ready for him to keep the people from crowding him. And like in the other Gospels, you can see like he goes out in the boat, so there's water between him and people just to you know, keep people back a little. For he had healed many people, or he had, he had healed many, so that those with diseases were pushing forward to touch him. Whenever the impure spirits saw him, they fell down before him and cried out, You are the Son of God. But he gave them strict orders not to tell others about him. So the first group of people, the Pharisees and these guys, see Jesus do something amazing, and they want to kill him, or they're trying to figure out how they can kill him. First off, they're mad. They're looking to accuse him. Jesus does something amazing. They want to kill him. The crowd is coming out to see Jesus, and they can't, even, they can't get enough of this guy. And even the demons are like, you're the son of God. And he's like, stop telling everybody that. So demons know what's up. The crowd's knowing what's up. And, uh, and for some reason, the Pharisees aren't. Again, hold on to that. So then Jesus moves on. He's, now he's appointing his disciples. So Jesus went up on the mountainside and called to him those he wanted. Which is an interesting thing you should ponder on that sometime about being one that God wants. Another gospel talks about him calling us friend. And they came to him, and he appointed the twelve that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to drive out demons. These are the twelve he appointed. So this is important for later in the story. Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, whom this story, the gospel of Mark, is most likely his attesting of what he saw and what he experienced. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And to them he gave the name Sons of Thunder. That comes up later. Andrew, Philip, Bartholomew, Matthew, Thomas, James, son of Alphaeus, Thaddeus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who will betray him. And so Jesus immediately, um, this we're only in Mark 3 now, you know, and he's immediately appointing people to work with him. You know, he's not coming here to just do everything himself. That's never been what God does or how God operates. He's always wanting to include other people, and I would say to hear us, in his mission to the world. You know, so even in simple things like we're going to Orange Park High School tomorrow to try to clean the place up and make it better, that would be even in part of this. Like, you know, we're actually being in the way, Jesus' hands and feet going into the community and doing something to make it better in, in, in less, you know what I'm saying. And so... This is an important thing. And he gave them, he sent them, he appointed them. So Jesus is saying, I want you guys to do this, and I'm going to send you out. Not just to hang around me all the time, but I also want to send you out to do things. And the things are this, to preach the truth about who Jesus is and drive out demons. Okay? Preach the truth and drive out demons. Now, uh, and so... This theme of demons keeps coming up. So let's go to verse 20, and this is where we're going to start talking about this. Then Jesus entered a house, and again a crowd, a crowd gathered, so that he and his disciples were not even able to eat. I mean, this, the people are just, 
desperate to get in contact with him. When his family heard about this, they went up to take, this is Jesus' family. When Jesus' family heard him, heard about this, they went up to take charge of him, for they said, he's out of his mind, which is not fun to have your family say that about you. And the teachers of the law who came down from Jerusalem said, he is possessed by the devil, the prince of demons. It's by the prince of demons he's driving out demons. So now his family thinks he's kind of lost his mind. And then the religious people are saying he's demon-possessed, or it's like he's like the the leader of the demons or something because he's telling other demons what to do. So Jesus called them over to him and began to speak to them in parables. He said, how can Satan drive out Satan? If the kingdom is divided against itself, that that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house cannot stand. And if Satan opposes himself and is... Divided, he cannot stand. His end has come. In fact, no one can enter a strong man's house without first tying him up. Then he can plunder the strong man's house. Truly, I tell you, people can be forgiven all their sins in every slander they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never be forgiven. They are guilty of an eternal sin. He said this because they were saying he has an impure spirit. Now, this is dense, this little chunk right here. And so I'm going to take a, we're going to pause and talk about two important things, demons and the slandering of the spirit, this thing that he says they will not be, for, the, the eternal sin, okay? If you haven't noticed yet, and I assume you might have, the Gospel of Mark, the subject of demons and driving out of demons is, comes up a lot. You know, I mean, Jesus says, I got 12 guys that I'm going to have do my stuff. And like, what's your stuff? They're going to have you... Um, Preach and tell everybody about who I am as God. You're like, good, got that. You're like, and drive out demons. You're like, hold on a second. What am I doing there? You know? And in the Matthew one, he's like, and also heal people. So you're like, hold on. I'm cool with the first one, but these other two seem pretty, like, well, how am I going to do, you know? And I think that we have to <laughs> grapple with it, that when you say something like demons, a lot of times, like our culture, we go, I don't, is that even a, is that a thing we do anymore? Is that just a weird Bible way to talk about, you know? things we don't understand, maybe, or, you know. And so I wanted to say a couple clarifying things, that uh, the worldview of the Bible, which we're going to have to say, like, the Bible's worldview is correct, and if we deviate from that, we're the ones that have moved, and we're wrong, you know what I mean? And so in the Bible's worldview, and what Jesus is doing and teaching and interacting with, and we'll see even more, he's interacting with demonic spirits, and these are evil spirits that are doing things in this world to people, and in areas, and that's a thing that exists. And we have to, and that, that jades, or like it, it, it jars our hearing because it sounds like, are you sure, are you right? You know, and, and I just want to say clearly, yes, it is true. Um, there are evil spirits in this world. I think that we, it's one of those kind of things we all know we just don't want to admit in front of people. So I'll just let you know, it's okay to admit it. Jesus admits it. And um, some things about that, uh, <laughs> Just because we can say, okay, there are such things as evil spirits and, like, demons and demonic oppression of people. There's a lot of things people say about this stuff that's completely wacky and crazy. So it doesn't mean that, like, everything you hear about that that you Google is going to be like, oh, this is all really solid information, and I should base my life on that. I, I would not recommend that. But let's at least start with the Bible, all right? You know, so the idea that in the world there are such things as angels and God's Holy Spirit, there are also the devil and evil spirits that are doing things. And these things have hurt people. And, and it's important to know that because otherwise they can sneak around unknown as, you know, and trick us in this kind of thing. 
like I said, a lot of people have developed a whole lot of stuff about this that's just wacky, and you know you can sort through that, and we can sort through that. But it, we first need to at least get the fact that these are this is a real thing. Um, and then the other thing that can happen is like I've been around people where you live in a world where you go, there's no such thing as this, and then somebody tells you or convinces you through the Bible, no, there is such a thing as demons. And then like now every single time they see a shadow, there's like a demon there. This is also not a good way to interact with the world, okay? It's not healthy. It's not right. And that's not what the Bible is teaching. Like, demons exist and they're oppressing people, but Jesus has authority over them. Like, we're, it's like the darkness of the world, and we bring in the light. You see what I'm saying? And I would even bring into this the kind of thing we're doing at, like, Orange Park High School tomorrow. And I mean that more than just physically. Like, while we're there, I hope we're praying for the school. I will be, and I hope you would be, too, if you're coming. You know, like, let's pray. It's like, God... If there are demonic spirits here, Lord, we pray that you would cast them out. We've been sent. Like, Jesus is sending us to do this. It sounds, you go, this sounds crazy what you're saying. I'm like, yeah, well, let's give it a shot, right? And here's the other thing. Um, since this is going to come up so many more times in this gospel, you need to kind of have a good, a little, at least a decent grip on this. So I'm going to say this out of just my own experience and kind of trying to put some uh, understanding on this. Go to the triangle slide that I have you might be immediately going like, okay, isn't this just the Bible's way of talking about mental illness, okay? And, or you might be like, well, these things are just drugs or like drug-infused, you know, experiences people are having. And I want to say clearly, um, these things are different. They might look similar. Like you might encounter somebody acting very strange, and you go, wow. This guy must have a demon, and he's not demonic. He just has a mental illness, okay? These aren't the same thing, all right? The guy's acting in a way that makes me uncomfortable. He must, have a, he must be demonic or something like that. You can, get really, you can go really weird places with this stuff that are very unhealthy. There is such a thing as mental illness of varying kinds, which you, we all know about, and that has to be treated differently with, you know, uh, medication sometimes and also with uh, uh, treatments with counselors, psychologists, and this kind of thing. Right, And then there's also this thing, like people that are addicted to or on or afflicted by drugs. Drugs do weird things to our brains and cause strange behavior. We all know this. Some of us know it way more intimately than we'd like to you know, admit. But, and then there's demonic things, which is like actual evil spirits that are oppressing people. Okay, Now, here's why this is complicated. Because even though we can define these things separately... And know that not everybody that's experiencing something troubling is experiencing something demonic, literally. There is this sort of relationship between these three things. Meaning, for example, this. There's often somebody who might be struggling with a mental illness, okay, may dabble into things like drugs to try to help them self-medicate out of that problem, which causes further problems. And also even as literally as I mean, like, engage in what might be some sort of evil pagan or demonic uh, rituals and stuff to try to also deal with this kind of stuff. And this all has an effect. So it starts to becoming like a relationship. And you might be like, well, what's this person dealing with? They might be dealing with some of all of these things. But it's not super simplistic, right? And I don't think that, I think Jesus knows that. I think people at the time knew that, you know. Um, meaning like this. There's times we read the Bible and... Um, like something like when we talk about, we'll get to it, and you know the story, like Jesus dies on the cross, right? 
and then they bury him in the tomb, and three days later he comes back. And that's like a really important thing as Christ, for Christianity. Like Paul says, like, if that didn't happen, then what are we even doing here? You know what I mean? But some people like now, they'll look at that and go, well, okay. Probably he like fainted or something, and then they put him in a tomb for three, and then he like came back, you know? People might do that. And like maybe they didn't know what it meant for people to die. And the thing you have to remember is like people aren't, weren't like stupid, 2,000 years ago. They're like, we know what a dead guy is. You know what I mean? Especially like Roman soldiers who were in charge of crucifying Jesus. <laughs> they know, they know, they knew, they know how to kill people. So they're not going to be like, ah, he's probably mostly dead, but he's not all dead. But I go ahead, you know, and that was a reference for some of you. But I think that in this, in this area, I think you need to, if you didn't have the top of the triangle, I want to invite you, like, open your mind that this is an area but don't erase those other two. Because some people start to say everything that's in those bottom two points is just demonic. This is not helpful behavior, okay? Every single thing, it may have a relationship. I think the relationship word is important. There is often a spiritual component to things we deal with physically. You know, the Bible talks about curses and generational curses. It also talks about blessings. These aren't just like feel-good prayers. They mean like having real you know, spiritual authority in people's lives and stuff like that. And prayer and the Holy Spirit can break these things and set people free. And again, I'm laying this down for the sake that we're going to encounter this a bit more as we go through this book. And if you don't have a grid for this, you're going to be like, every time he says demons, I just hear something else. I'm like, you need to hear demonic, you know, because one of the things that's different than like mental illness is like a demonic spirit, as you see in this story, and as you might encounter in the world, knows things and will like say things like, that's Jesus, the Son of God. That's not a mental illness. That's not a drug trip the guy's on, you know. He's correctly identifying Jesus, the Son of God. And Jesus is like, it's not time to talk about that yet. I need you to stop, you know. And so let's not let our culture's myopic vision limit what the Bible is trying to tell us. But let's also not throw out these other things that are affecting people, okay. So enough on that. Another thing in this chapter, this is like a chunk that could, is really unsettling for a lot of reasons. One is we're talking about demonic stuff. And then the other one is uh, Jesus is like, says something about like, what did you, what did you say? Like, like he's going to forgive sins, but then if you do this thing that like, you're not forgiving. Like, what is that? You, you, there's this, and a lot of kids have this story. Kevin and I were talking about this, that like you, you encounter this verse as a kid in youth group. And you're like, oh, no, like I'm going to do this unpardonable sin and. I, I want to serve Jesus, but I'm going to be, you know, you know, you see what I'm trying to say. Y'all with me at all? Okay. Everybody's just kind of sitting there, um, which I guess is what we do. The, uh, <laughs> let me explain this to you a little bit. Uh, essentially what this is talking about is ultimately, and keep that word ultimately in the definition here, ultimately ascribing the work of the Holy Spirit to the devil. Okay, the reason ultimately is important is I don't think Jesus is saying to these guys, "You bunch of guys over here are saying what I'm doing." You're like, "You've done this bad thing. You're you're, you're cursed forever." I think he's warning them. Okay, because all of us don't understand what we're dealing with. All right, and we're going to get into that in like one second. Jesus is often doing things that we don't understand and don't know what we're dealing with. So you don't have to worry. But like, I'm always going to 100% know and correctly identify the actions of the Holy Spirit in the world, or else I'm damned for all, you know, like, I don't think it's what's going on here. What he's saying is, ultimately, Jesus and the activity of Jesus, the Holy Spirit has come on him. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. He's doing what I, you know, Jesus is coming to bring salvation and freedom to the human race and the restoration of the whole world. 
by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you reject that, you are, you are separated from God forever, okay? That's what he's talking about. He's warning these guys, saying, like, hey, guys, I'm doing God stuff here, and I want you to get on board with this so that you're not, if you read, like, at the end of Revelation where it's, like, cast out. I don't want you to be cast out. I want you to be in. I want you to follow with me. I want you to understand who I am. I want you to experience the salvation that I offer. That's why I said ultimately. Because there's going to be times in your life where you go, I don't get that. That sounds bad or this person's doing this thing. And only later you realize, oh, my gosh, I was the one who was wrong. You don't have to go, oh, no, have I done that unpardonable? It's like, no, you got it, all right? You know, that's why I say ultimately, okay? So don't, don't lay in bed worried about this at night. Jesus is warning us. He doesn't want us to miss what he's doing in our lives and in other people's lives. And, he, and ultimately, he doesn't want us to, you can't just deny who Jesus is. You can't be like, oh, he's just a nice guy, and that's all. You know, you need to understand who he is and what he's doing. And that's what this whole chapter really is about. So those are two weird subjects, but let's keep moving. Because I'm going to say a couple things that tie it all together. Verse 31 so now his family's showing up, his actual earthly family, like Mary and his brothers. Remember we did some of, we did the books, Jude and James, like Jesus' brothers, like I don't know where they were in this whole thing, but like, you know, they might have been going along with mom, like we better go get our brother, oh, that's, which is a good picture there. You know, like those guys didn't fully always get what was going on, right? Because here's Mary, the one who birthed Jesus, who talked to angels about it, going, yeah, he's kind of, he might be out of his mind here. So this is a good point about that whole unpardonable sin thing. She's all right, guys, all right? Then Jesus' mother and brothers arrived. Standing outside, they sent someone in to call him. A crowd was sitting around him. They told him, your mother and brothers are outside looking for you. And, and who are my mother and brothers, he asked. And he looked at those seated around the circle, the ones that were actually getting what he was talking about, who were receiving the new wine he was pouring out. All right? He said, here are my mother and my brothers. Now, here's the thing. Whoever does God's will is my brother and sister and mother. In the whole world. He means not just my immediate family. Not even just my Jewish family. It's like whoever. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that, you, you know the whole thing. So let me go into this a little bit. Because I think if you're honest, if I'm honest, and if we're honest together, which is a good, pro <laughs> a good way to be, a lot of this stuff's uncomfortable, you know, we're going through these chapters in Mark, and it's kind of like, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened, then this happened. And some of it's like, wait, wait, that's, if I stop on that and think for a minute, that would be incredibly uh, jarring, you know? Like, what if we were there and a guy with a withered hand came up here now, and, G and Jesus healed him? We'd be like, whoa, you know, what just, what just happened there? Or like, you're with somebody, and you're just walking around the mall with and you see Jesus there, and then people are screaming out in, like, demonic voices, this is the Son of God, and you're like, oh, I don't know how to. Does that fit into your, like, way, like, does that happen in your life all the time? You know what I mean? And I think that, yeah, a lot of these things were a little more culturally relevant in where Jesus was, but at the same time, their, their experience, everybody's experience with it would be similar to ours. And it's this, that Jesus is showing up and he's disrupting normal things. It's not like... Uh, this is how the world always is. And then Jesus shows up. He's like, ah, it's still the same. Yeah, nothing's changed much, you know. Immediately, people are like, ah, whoa, I have to deal with this. You know what I mean? 
there's the idea of like, there's this kind of common idea, I think, no one talks about it, no one suggests it, but everybody kind of does it, where it's like, <laughs> I want to be just Christian enough, or just godly enough, or fill in the blank with that, whatever, churchy enough to be good. But like wherever, wherever the line is where it's like, now I'm bad, I want to be like right here. And like a, a fair analysis of our behaviors would, would indicate that this is a lot of how we do this. We're not going like, how, you know, how deep does this thing go? You know, the further up, further in kind of attitude. It's more like, how can I stay as close to, you know, the demon world as possible, but be good, you know? And this is true. It doesn't matter. And what's interesting about this story in this chapter is it, 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 it's not like, it, it kind of, it affects everybody, okay? And what I mean by that is this. Remember the verse I read at the beginning about Jesus saying, hey, you don't put new wine in old wineskins. You put new wine in new wineskins. We don't know much about wineskins. The story is you put the wine in the wineskins and then as it ferments, it like expands, you know, it's like shaking up a Coke bottle or whatever, you know, and it stretches the leather of the wineskin out. So it's already stretched. And then if you put like that volume of new wine in, as it expands, it'll blow up. And so he's like, if you do, if you put new wine that hasn't fermented yet in old wineskins that are already stretched, when it expands, it blows up and you lose everything, you know, that's the meaning of that. And so we might go, well, what's a new and what's an old wineskin? Because if you hear that, you go, I guess I want to be a new wineskin, right? The answer is yes, you want to be a new wineskin. And, uh, And, and so maybe you find yourself uh, well, we try to use outside indicators to det- determine like where we are on this kind of thing as far as like godly, not godly, and all this kind of stuff, or close to Jesus, right? But here's the weird thing about these stories. Jesus says that whole thing about new wineskin, old wineskin, and there's a whole bunch of people encountering things he's doing and having varying levels of getting it or not getting it, right? And the weird thing is the people that are closest to him or the people that are like most religious and like the the Pharisees, when it says the Pharisees were mad at Jesus, these guys aren't like, well, I don't know much about the Bible, but this guy seems to be, you know, one of those guys could like like if we all went up against him in like a Bible trivia contest against one of those guys, he would win. You know, these guys memorized most of what we call the Old Testament or, you know, or had studied it so much that it was basically memorized. So it's not like they weren't equipped, but you got Jesus' actual family, the close ones, the ones that grew up with the guy, saying he's out of his mind. And then you got the religious people, the ones that should have been like, we're waiting on the Messiah. We know what to look for when he shows up. We've read the book a whole lot. We're ready to go. He shows up doing Messiah stuff, and they go, he's probably a demon. That's, that's what he is. Like, using all the available information I have, demon, you know. So, so you have people close to him not getting it, and people who should be religiously at least close to him wanting to kill him. And, and so in this whole situation, they're the old wineskins. Meanwhile, you've got these crowds of random people 
breaking the door down just to get close to him. They're the new wine skin. So, like, what sets this thing apart? I, I, it's mainly this, okay? Uh, my notes got messed up. But it's mainly this. If you think you got it all figured out, you think you know everything, you think you got it all figured out, you can predict everything, you know what God stuff is, you know your life, you know, you got, you know, you can tell everybody everything, you got to answer for everything, you can, you can pay your own way all the time, I mean, you're just, you got it all together, you, you're in danger of becoming an old wineskin. If you're satisfied, like, I, I'm good, like, you know, I want to do this church thing, or I want to do the God thing just enough, but I'm good, like, I don't need, you know, I'm good. Meanwhile, there's people over here that are actually desperate, you know, desperate in life, some people are like, you know, we talked about people like, I'm praying for my relative who's dealing with drug addiction, and there doesn't seem to be any hope that anything's going to happen at all. Like, in the world, there's no hope. I'm hopeless. Or, I'm struggling. I, I'm depressed. I don't have any hope for myself. I've given up. Or, you know, or we're like, we are literally out of money. I mean, I think we can all start to relate to that a little bit this time. Like, you know, it's like, where everything just costs way too much. You know, I'm not doing good. You know, even just normal life stuff. I'm having, you know, and that makes me feel like I'm a failure or something like that. The good news is you're actually moving into new wineskin territory. A lot of what Jesus is doing here is he's showing us that you never you never did have it all figured out, you know? You just thought you did. And the moment you think you do, you're an old wineskin. And then you start missing what Jesus is doing and saying he's out of his mind or demonic, neither of which are accurate. And it's important that we, uh, the hope you can hear is that if you're depressed, like nothing's happening in your life or you're losing hope or you're frustrated, you're in a good place to be filled by what Jesus is wanting to offer. He's not going like, that's it. Have fun with that. He's saying, come, let me fill you. And uh, in, the, in the Matthew version of this story, where Jesus takes the disciples, and like I said, he gives them a little bit more instructions. And it's the same story, though. He's sending out that he's like, these are the apostles. These are the, you know. Um, since it's longer, it has a little bit more instructions. It's important that we know this. It's important Jesus is saying it's important that you know how dependent you are on me. Because, I mean, if the list of, of duties didn't scare you enough, driving out demons and healing people, and you're like, wait a minute, I, don't do, I can't do that. He's like, yeah, I know. That's why, that's, that, you know. He says this in Matthew 10, 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Does that sound good? You're the sheep. They're the wolves. You're like, Man, that Jesus really knows how to do things. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, right? Like he's a sheep. He's the lamb of God, right? So he's not saying, I'm, I'm going to hang back here and be cool. You guys go do all that stuff in the wolf world. He's already, he's done it, been done it, all that kind of thing. But he's saying, I'm sending you guys out like sheep among the wolves. And you're like, well, <laughs> how is that going to work? Well, here's the thing. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes, but as, as innocent as doves, or you hear sometimes as uh, um, serpents, and harmless as doves. 
He wants us to be able to go out boldly into very bad foreign territory and accomplish the kind of work that he has for us to do that doesn't harm anybody. But he's not saying like, so stick your head in the sand. This demonic, none of this stuff, it doesn't, you know, none of it's, you know, he's saying know what's really going on so that you can be ready. (laughs) But we put up these walls, okay, that prevent us from seeing. And in this story, the people who had the most walls up are the people that should have had the least walls. You know, you think Jesus' brother would be like, well, I don't know. I mean, he's, he wasn't exactly like the rest of the, my brothers when I was growing up, you know. I don't know if he's out of his mind. You know, you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> and, or like the Pharisees, they're like, we've been waiting on this guy for quite a while. Yeah, he's kinda, this is the kind of thing we expect him to do. But they had walls up. But the demons knew and the crowds knew. And a lot of it, it just comes down to this. When Jesus doesn't do what we expect him to do in our lives or in the world or in other places around here, it's not about beliefs. It's the way we live those beliefs out. And Jesus is doing something maybe in that second category. You know, because the, 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 the Pharisees are right a lot of times about the nitpickiness of the law, okay? And if you pay attention even in this story, they're really wanting to get him like, are you going to work again on the Sabbath? Like, the, you just did this whole thing. Like, you know, remember Kevin talked about, like, we're the, you know, I'm the Lord of the Sabbath and all this kind of stuff. And he, and he probably was like, I could even do that, but I'm not going to. He doesn't even do anything, like, at all. He just tells the guy to stretch out his hand. He doesn't even, like, let me lift you up. He's like, ah, you lifted a guy. Like, you see what I'm saying? He's not even, like, really engaging with the Torah. Like, they're, they're, they're getting a little weird about it, like, way beyond what it should have been. And he does challenge that a couple times, you know. But... In this specific story, he doesn't even do that. Because, like, he, all the law and the prophets, he sums them all up. He's not like, I'm not against that stuff. He goes, I'm just saying you're not getting the point of it. I'm not even acting in a way that's in, in conflict with it. I'm just acting in a way that's in conflict with your understanding of it. Or that makes you uncomfortable. Which is not the same as acting in conflict with the Torah itself. Or... His own family. You spend a lot of time with him. You should know what he's like. And it's like, God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. You know what I mean? But then all all of a sudden, it's like, well, people are acting different. Like, it makes me uncomfortable. Like, the way people are handling this is not something that I'm used to. I don't don't like the way people, you know, we better go get him. Like, now he's embarrassing me. You know, I hear that in it. You know, he's out of his mind, like, for his good, but also for ours. You know, like, we got to bring it back in, you know. And I think this is uh, hard for our culture because uh, one, we like to know, like we like to act like we know what we're doing, you know, and we also like to look good. Like we're like, we're at the top of the game. I I found out something this week that was like, I guess not surprising, but for some reason it was surprising to me. Y'all remember the show MTV Cribs? Do y'all remember the show? Okay, so if you're like younger than... It was big like 20 years ago. So like what it was, was it was like famous people would like invite you over to their house. And it was always these kind of like gigantic mansions. And like then they'd be like, come on in my house. Let me show you. And they'd just walk you around and then like show you what was in their fridge and all this kind of stuff. And like, I'm just like, it's a TV show. So to some extent you were like, yeah, I'm sure this is, you had people set your house up and all. Well, it turns out like. Pretty much the whole show was fake, like completely fake. And I didn't get the memo on that. I mean, I didn't like, 
we weren't like taping it or whatever, you know. But I mean, if it was on, we would watch it from time to time because it was kind of interesting to see. But like, apparently, the the rapper Method Man was like, oh, sorry, Red Man was like, they're like, we're gonna do your your cribs, but don't worry, we found some houses for you. And he's like, what are you talking about? They're like, well, we found some houses. Like we rent a house and then we put stuff in it, and then you invite us in. Like, and he's like, what are you talking about? Like, <laughs> that's not my house. And then he said, I saw a thing on an interview, and he said that he knew his mom would be like, you know darn well that's not your house. And so he was like, well, I better. So he's like, well, I'll do it, but you're going to have to come to my actual house. And then he brought them in to his actual house. And, the, and at that point, everybody was like, wait, that guy's just as famous as the guy that was on here last week. What, what? And his house was quite normal, if you will, you know. And so anyway, uh, the, the whole point is that was 20 years ago. And so to find out that these celebrity people were lying and saying they had all these cars that they didn't have and all this, it's probably not surprising. But now, thanks to the, the gifts of technology and all of the apps and stuff that we have, which these didn't even exist 20 years ago, now we all live in this world where we can just kind of pretend like, you know, you know even like in our spiritual life, we're like, I'm going to take a picture of my quiet time, and you, know, and, you, and you didn't even pray. You know, but if I take a picture of my coffee and my Bible, man, you know, it's like, and it's all just a show. It's like an act, you know. Or like, like or you want to like, I got, my, I got my life all together, you know what I mean? Like, I know, I, I, you know, not just my spiritual life, but even just my life life, you know. My family's doing great, we're all doing great. I need, for some reason, I need everybody to think that. And I'm just going to, and I have the tools at my disposal to, like, live this lie at an extreme level. Like, that maybe only famous people were doing 20 years ago. Now we're all there, you know. I need to get likes on this. Th I need other people to like what I'm doing. I need, like, you know, and there's this weird maybe demonic voice telling us to, you know, to keep doing this thing, you know? So you end up stuck in this performance thing at a level that's probably out of pace with human history. You know, we're in a unique place. These aren't new problems. I think we've indicated even here that, like, this kind of stuff, human, we don't, we're not that different than everybody that long ago, but we have certain things they didn't have, you know? And now we're all living this MTV Cribs life. And we could just stop. But the thing is, the bigger thing, I guess, is not that we just suffer, or maybe open ourselves up to <laughs> suffering, demonic suffering, and all that kind of stuff. And, like, not able to bring light into the dark world because we're caught into the darkness just like everybody else. We also start to, more tragically, miss what Jesus is doing. So Jesus hasn't stopped doing stuff. He hasn't stopped wanting to use us and using other people to do things. But the more we get caught up into this thing, whichever version of it suits you, you know, I doubt most of us are trying to be, like, the most religious people. You know, that might be, people like Kevin and I might have to worry more, like, the Pharisee stuff, you know. We're professional Christian people, you know. I can't be admitting that I have problems with da-da-da-da-da or something like that, you know. But, like, uh any version of this thing, then Jesus starts to show up and, like, mess with that, you know. So your first encounter might be like, whoa, 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 whoa. Don't make me look bad in front of people. He's like, when did that ever matter much? I didn't, I didn't, you know. And then, and then, like, whoa, 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 don't start, you know. And I'm not saying that you can't have a private life. I think we actually should. But the idea that what I put forth and who I am are completely different things, or at least not the same, you know. Then when Jesus starts to mess with that, we interpret that Bad, like badly, meaning this is bad. It, you, we wouldn't use the word, but like, oh, he's, it's, it's demonic. 
or, you know, this is a bad thing that's happening to me. This is a bad thing that's happening, you know. So he, this must be bad because it makes me feel bad. Feelings feel bad, so this is bad. And really what Jesus is saying, I'm trying to help you so that you're not demonically oppressed anymore. And the main thing is, uh, we don't have to know everything. There's this pressure to pretend like I got it all worked out, I got it all figured out, I know exactly what's going on, I know exactly who I am, I know exactly everything, and I can show everybody that so that they'll know how awesome I am. And again, forgive me if I don't paraphrase this in the way that fits you, but I think you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I'm completely unhappy with this, but I guess it's just stuck where we are. You know what I mean? Like, I'll put on this whole show, they'll put on a show, well, none of us will be real, and then that's just how we live now, and that's great, you know? And Jesus is like, I want to invite you out of that. You're like, that's too, that's scary to me. I found this uh, quote, and I think it applies to life. I had known this quote for a while, but I looked it up, like, where it actually came from. Um, Because here's the thing, guys. We are sent by Jesus. Like, in the middle of this whole story, you know, we got people challenging Jesus. You're like, you're doing things. They're like, you're probably demonic or you're crazy. You're like, something, you know. And then he's like, Jesus called 12 people and he's like, I'm going to, hey, guys we got some work to do. I want to send you out to do the kind of things I'm doing. You're like, oh, wow, okay, cool, you know? And then you start seeing how people, or you see how people are reacting to that kind of thing. Like, are they going to do that stuff when I do, you know, like when I show up and, you know, and what, I don't really know what I'm doing to do that stuff. He's like, that's all right, I'll be with you. And you're like, yeah, but I don't, you know. So when you're stuck in that place, I always want to say really clearly, at least for our church here, it's okay for us to not know everything because you don't. But so we don't trust, there's a proverb, which a lot of you, this is one of those ones you kind of like remember uh, as a child. It's Proverbs, what was it, three? Did I put it in there? Yeah, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your path straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. Now that's harder for some of us than for others, you know. But it could be your own understanding of anything. You know, it doesn't have to just be, you know, deep thoughts. It could be like, trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding of how much Instagram matters. <laughs> you see what I'm saying? That's really dumb, but you get what I'm trying to say. You know, trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding of how other people think about you. Okay? Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding of who you think Jesus is supposed to be. Okay? Because he often shows up meddling with things. And it can feel bad unless you understand he's doing it for your good. You're like, God, I don't want you to touch that thing, though. Don't mess with that. We're good. Look, I want to be right here. I want to be in, all right? Just don't mess with this stuff. This is my stuff, you know? And when I tell that story earlier about, like, being just godly enough, you're probably like, yeah, because you want to still, like, watch whatever movies and that kind of thing. That's not really what it is. It's just like, I want to keep my identity here. Like, if there's a line, I want to be inside the God side, but I want people's opinion of me to be out here, because that matters to me. And he's like, no, that's not really how, like, he's like, you can only be here. And you're like, ah, whoa, 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 that doesn't feel good. I want to go back here, you know. And it makes you look bad, or your family might think you're nuts. But you can be okay, because Jesus' family thought the same thing. Why don't you guys come on up here? In this quote, this is actually from Charlie Chaplin, and it's not a quote he said, like, just talking to a guy one day. It's actually a quote he wrote for a movie that he played a character in, but it's still a quote from him because he, uh, the, the, the point is this. In life, 
He meant it artistically. But in life, it's okay for us to be amateurs. It's okay for us. I think Jesus is sending out 12 apostles as amateur followers of Jesus, not as experts. We're only on chapter 3 here. So he's not going like, all right, guys, you got it all? You good? All right, you're like certified PhD Christian people now. Let's go do the thing. They're like, well, maybe we've got this whole thing figured out. You know what I mean? That's not where they're at. They're like at the beginning, you know. Amateur, in case you don't know, I mean, you, I know you know what it means, but like what it literally means, if you recognize like it's based on like that word amor, you know, like this love. It's like a person who takes part in an activity or as a study or sport for pleasure and not for pay. So doing something because you love it, not just because you have to. And in the movie that Charlie Chaplin wrote, it's about guys being comedians or something like that. And he says, the guy that's talking to him, he's like, don't worry, tonight you're going to make them all look like a bunch of amateurs. That's what the other guy says to him, like trying to get like, tonight you're going to make everybody look like a bunch of amateurs. And then his character says back, well, that's all we are, though. That's all any of us are, amateurs. We don't live long enough to be anything else. Now, that's not in the Bible. But what I think, if you can hold on to that, trusting not in your own understanding, trusting not in how you look, trusting not in being an expert, trusting not in having people think you're so great, trusting not in any of that stuff. If you can actually just trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, then you can see what Jesus is doing and not think it's bad or see what Jesus is doing and get involved with it and not just go, you're probably the prince of demons or you're probably out of your mind. There's a, there's a, there's a missionary, like he was saying, he was talking about like doing stuff for Jesus and people saying like, you, well, you're out of your mind. I would never do that. And he goes, I'm not out of my mind. I'm out of your mind. And this is kind of what Jesus is saying. He goes, yeah, I'm out of your mind. You need to get out of your mind and into my mind, the mind of Christ, okay? And it's kind of painful or jarring, and it's different for everybody because we all have these different secret things we want to keep. But if we can trust that Jesus is doing this all out of his love for us, then then we're going to be good. Here's the thing, because we don't have it all figured out. I don't have it all figured out. You don't have it all figured out. You don't have to have it all figured out. He has it all figured out. He's working through us to do the little things that we can, and we're making this world a better place, preaching, telling people the truth of who Jesus is and driving the demons out, like turning on a light and the roaches scatter, you know? Not being afraid of them, like, oh, demons, ah! You know, you, you spray it, you, you deal with it, you know what I mean? Because here's the thing, in this story, you don't want to be the old wineskin that's satisfied with the way things are. It's okay to be desperate for something what Jesus wants. He's like, I want to pour into those kind of people. We haven't even gotten to like the Beatitudes yet or anything, but the demons know what's going on. So it's like we can have our act together, look good, invite people over to our fake house with our fake cars and all this kind of stuff. And people have no idea what's going on in the world. We're not shrewd as serpents. We're just, we're just, I don't even know what we are. And meanwhile, demons are like, that's that's the son of God right there. And you're like, what? What are you even talking about? You know? So out to lunch, you don't even get it. So what I want to pray for us is that we get our walls down between each other and between Jesus because I think that's the only hope that we have. 
Jesus is coming in in a very disruptive way. There's like that famous quote, Jesus is not a good house guest. Because he just comes over and takes, you can't have just some, you know. It's not like a garnish on your life. And that's how we like to approach it. It just isn't available. It's all or nothing. And it's like, Jesus is like, you can come. I don't want you to be stuck in that unforgivable place that I was, he was talking about. I want you to know who I am, and I want you to, I want to embrace you, and I want you to embrace me. And so it's okay for us to be amateurs at following Jesus because none of us live long enough to be anything else. And the people that are pretending like they're not, they're just pretending. And like, whatever, go ahead and do it, but I don't have to believe you. But the, uh, it's, it's okay. Like, it actually can be joyful. Because when you have your kid help you do something, oftentimes them helping you makes it actually take longer to do. You know, I mean, my kids are kind of past that age now. But like, back when they were like really young, they're like, I want to help you sweep this. You're like, oh, good. Now it's going to take four times longer. But you enjoy doing it together, you know. And I think God often has that kind of relationship with us. But the... Uh, uh, there's even just a joy in the, in, in the relationship that I think is similar. So why don't we stand? I'm going to pray. And then if you need prayer for anything that we've talked about or anything we haven't talked about, we'll have people back by the missions wall that are going to be willing to pray for you guys. And then um, they're going to lead us in a song to close. Um, but Lord, let me just pray. So Lord, I just pray that you would we would be okay with you disrupting our norms because we don't actually like all the norms. Even sometimes we've convinced ourselves that we need them or there's some comfort in them or that there's some uh, answer in performing for other people that gives us some sort, I don't know, pleasure or something. Lord, I pray that you would help us to embrace your healing disruption. And I pray that you would cast out the demonic voices in our heads, the demons that speak to us, Lord, and help us to be able to do the same for others. And Lord, I wanna, we want to be people who are new wineskins for you to pour in your new wine and to be able to be a part of what you're doing because of your love for us. Like you want to have us help you like a small child helps a parent and your love for us in that time. Lord, I pray for those that have never experienced that, that they would experience the freedom of not having to be something they're not or act some way that they're not and to know your love in the deepest parts of who, of who they are, Lord. And I pray for freedom in this house from, from the demonic. I pray for freedom from drug addiction. I pray for freedom from addiction of any kind, addiction for uh, other people's approval. I pray for freedom from addiction from uh, pleasure. I pray for freedom from addiction of shame. I just pray that you would bring restoration in this house to our hearts, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.